a demon-possessed boy had been delivered by Jesus. And, and everybody was astonished. So verse 43, they were all astonished at the majesty, the greatness of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand the saying. It was concealed from, concealed from them so they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them about uh, as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. <clears throat> For he who is least among you among you all, is the one who is great. John answered, see, John's responding to that. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and, yet, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him, for the one who's not against you is for you. <coughs> when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I wonder what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him <clears throat> and, and who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> but he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Um, wow. Wow. Uh, Father, we all come today with uh, all kinds of um, feelings and experiences and motivations. <clears throat> I know I, I, come, I come sort of wanting people to really like me and feel good about my preaching and say how wonderful I am. I, I really want to be great today. Uh, we all struggle with greatness. Guide us there now as we dig a little deeper into what Jesus was like <coughs> and what he's done for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, what is greatness, according to Jesus? Here, and uh, as in several other places in the Gospels, the disciples argue about greatness, and Jesus turns their sense and our sense of greatness on its head. Um, what is, what, and and, and in, in the nature of the case, greatness always has to do with other people and relationships. It, it's, it's why the dark, it says the disciples were arguing among themselves. Greatness has to do with how I fare in relationship to you or, or, or other people, uh, how I fit in and function with others. I'm greater than someone else. Uh, what is Jesus' view? Did you hear what he said? It's sort of backwards. As, as Sid said, it's counterintuitive. Counter Greatness is being last, least. It's the way of humiliation. It, it's the way, the lowly place with others. And that smacks us in the face, doesn't it? That's not really what I want to hear. Uh, well, just hang on. Let's look at this in detail and see these three groups of people and how Jesus says we're to be great in those regards. So how does a really great person function with others? Did you notice the three groups of people? Verse 48, Jesus has a little child stand beside him. Almost 
as if an equal. And I think that was probably his point. What was a child in those days? Nothing. Not much. A child in the first century was nothing. And you know the others in those, in, in old first church of Jerusalem in those days who didn't matter much. You know, the, the common people, the Gentiles, the sinners, the riffraff, the tax collectors, and children. Remember when the parents brought Jesus, children to be blessed by Jesus? Remember what he did? Or what they did? Disciples wanted to shoo him, shoo him away. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. These are the very ones that the kingdom is made of. Um, there are people in our lives that our lives touch that just don't matter. Who are the people in your lives that don't matter? Jesus says the great person receives them and values them, and in so doing, they're valuing me and the Father. Who are the people that don't matter to you? I got a call from Bob, a member of our small group that met in our home. Hey, Jim, I invited Joe Smith to come to our, to our small group. Wednesday night. Bob can't see the wince on my face and the groan in my spirit. Oh, not him. He'll mess the group up. Joe is just weird. He's socially inept and intrusive. He's a sort of church tramp. <laughs> He's dependent, needy, noisy. You know, the f <clears throat> suddenly it hit me. I wasn't welcoming this little child, somebody who didn't matter. Mike's sense of greatness came because Joe just didn't count. And I was too good for him. He was below me. It was a status thing. My sense of greatness, my status was increased because I could see someone below me who did not matter. And most often that happens in our minds, but inevitably it boils over into our behavior. Often, most often by ignoring. Remember the, the broader debate <coughs> in this greatness debate in Luke 9? Every time the, the, uh, the disciples argue about greatness, what else is happening? What else is Jesus talking about? What else can you expect to see almost sandwiched in between every discussion of the disciples about the, how great they were? It was a discussion of Jesus' death. It's amazing. Almost every time they argue about greatness, Jesus has been or will be talking about his, his death. And here their peacock argument follows Jesus healing the spirit-possessed boy. And while the whole work, the crowd is amazed at him in verse 43, at the greatness of God or the majesty of God, in verse 44, Jesus says, Do they think this is greatness? You guys think this is, the people think this is greatness? Listen, let this sink into your ears. I'm going to be betrayed. That's greatness. I'm going to the cross. And then comes the disciples' greatness debate. So as I thought of, thought of Joe, I was also struck by, by Jesus' humil humiliation. Jesus became the one that didn't count. That was Jesus' greatness. But it was for me. I was the one. I was the the, the lost sheep he went out to save. I was the one who didn't matter. Jesus marched to Jerusalem and to the cross was valuing me of all people. I know, I know what I'm really like. 
and he valued me. I was the one that didn't matter. And I began to see Joe in a different light. I was still, still usually embarrassed by him. But he really became an incredibly warm part of our group. Who are, the pap- who are the people off your radar? That's the point. Sometimes they're, they're off the radar because we just don't see them. They count so little we don't even notice. The kid at school who's the quiet class, classmate who never makes any trouble, who nobody likes. He's always alone. The grocery store clerk you always see but never really see. The immigrant, the refugee, the person of another race, the neighbor we merely nod to or the unchurched, unchurched folks we never connect with because of our Christian ghetto in which we immerse ourselves. Why are they off our radar? Because we really enjoy hobnobbing with the cool people who, on whose coattails we can ride to a, a greater sense of status and greatness. We prefer the beautiful people at school and work, at, even at church. So on Sunday, we automatically will go to the people we know or the people who count. And sometimes even visitors will be left alone or people who don't matter to us. I can be such a name dropper because it makes me feel that higher status. I I count more than people who don't count. I can just love to find a way to drop my brother's name, Nathan Hatch, who just just retired this summer as president of Wake Forest. And I can sort of ride the coattails of, I know Nathan Hatch. I was da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's such a status of feeling great over people that don't matter. great person knows he's valued by Jesus because of where that trip to Jerusalem led. And so he serves others who don't matter. He looks, he looks for people that don't matter because he and she has been so valued. You have been so valued by Jesus. On the cross, Jesus was made a nobody for you. How can we not value nobodies when, when that's what we were when he came for us? Some of you are wrestling with what Christianity is all about, and some of you are uh, wondering if it's really true. You're, you're thinking, you know yourself, you know your worst self. You're thinking, if it's really true that God exists and that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for the, my crimes against God, if it's really true, then it's just too bad because the Lord could never love me. I'm just too messed up. If he really knows what I've done, he knows I'm a real nobody. Remember the greatness of Jesus. Those are the very people he loves and values. Those are the ones he died for, people who are nobodies. And some of you have been in church all your lives. And, but if you've never come to the place, if you've never come to the place, the really low, low place, where down deep inside you know in your essence you are a totally messed up person. If you've never come to that low, low place, you may not be a Christian. Because those are the people that Jesus died for. The nobodies. We're all nobodies. The ones who don't count. And Jesus loved us. How can we not love those around us who don't matter? Ask the Lord for the eyes of Jesus to spot people who don't matter. And as you take communion this morning, ask him, Lord, thank you, thank you 
from valuing me help me to value others. There's a line in an English mystery, which I love English mysteries. There's a line in a mystery that I read recently that says this. There was something about Ross that made you feel as if you didn't matter at all. Are there people who would say that about you? Maybe we need to come back to the cross this morning and remember what Jesus has done for us. Thank the Lord. You can't say that about Jesus. You mattered to him. There's a second person that the truly great person deals with. In John, uh, John in verse 49, he really is defensive, I think. Jesus talks about the little child being great. It says John answers, responds. We saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't in the PCA. He's not following with us, see? He's not in our group. He's not in our tribe. He's different from us. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he, he's casting out demons in your name, but he's not with us. John says, okay, Jesus, if I can't gain status over people that don't matter, maybe I, I can gain significance over people I disagree with. People are not in my tribe. People are not in my group. You see, that's what he's saying. He's casting out demons in your name, but he's not really in the know. He's not one of us. So I draw the circle tighter. I draw it tighter around us, our special group. You see that? And they don't raise their kids by the really biblical method. You draw the circle tighter. They don't really understand our church and where we really ought to be headed. You draw the circle tighter. They're anti-vaxxers. Oh, they're, va they're vaxxers. They masked. And we draw the circle tighter. Have you, seen what, have you seen their kids? We draw the circle tighter. Oh, they're Republican. Oh, they're Democrats. And we draw the circle tighter. Their views aren't like, quite like ours. Draw the circle tighter. We've been here since the beginning. Draw the circle tighter. Who do you draw the circle from? in your own lives. And this, again, it usually often, uh, most often happens in our minds, but it always impacts our behavior. And our sense of greatness comes from our, our sense of significance over those in the other groups. Who are they for you? They very, everybody has them. We all have them. Who are the people that, you, that we disagree with? Uh, and Jesus responds with a crazy, surprising, broad principle, unsettlingly broad. The great person serves people he disagrees with. Why? Giving the benefit of the doubt. You give them the benefit of the doubt. If they're not against you, they're for you. We'll talk in a minute about people who are against you. Take them into your circle, cutting some slack. Give them a break. Who are the people that we usually give the benefit of the doubt to? Moi. You know, I've had, just had a bad day. You know, that's just my personality. I give myself the benefit of the doubt all the time. And what do we do with others? We're hard on others. We give ourselves the benefit. Jesus says reverse that. You see that? If they're not for you, I mean, if they're not against you, they're for you. Oprah Winfrey and I were born in the same town of Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Did you know that? 
Um, I think I'm older than she is, so we, we, did, we weren't, didn't run in the same circles because uh, I was raised in the South. Uh, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was born with grits in my mouth. And um, I had the typical Southern view of people of a different color. Um, even though from an early age, I never quite understood why Ruby wouldn't eat at our dining room table with us. The Lord has grown me out of much of my bigotry. I guess I'm a recovering racist. Um, you know who I'm a bigoted against now? Bigots. <laughs> I can still include, exclude people in my mind, in my life, in my, my behavior, my thinking, until, whoa, whoa, Hatch. Whoa. Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Why was the Son of Man betrayed? You know why he went to the cross? To bring me into his circle. I was the one outside, and he died to bring me in. Peter says, in, in Peter, what once excluded, now I'm accepted by him, drawn in by his incredible grace. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. I was the outsider. And he refused to leave me there. You see it? The amazing thing about Jesus drawing me into his circle was that on the cross, he was thrown outside the Father's circle. My God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus said. Talk about not belonging. I don't understand how that can happen, that a part of the Trinity cannot belong to the Trinity. Be forsaken by God the Father. I don't understand it, but what happened, Jesus was outside the circle so that you would always be inside in the family. The great person knows she's accepted and serves people she disagrees with by giving them the benefit of the doubt, reaching out to draw people into your circle because that's what she knows Jesus did for her. This is so critical in our present culture, especially in church and in neighborhoods. One of the greatest pains we can have is feeling or sensing that we just don't belong. You may be right there. You've never felt like you never fit in. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, one of the, the teachings of historic Christianity has always been that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he brings us into his family. We now belong and you can now belong in, in, in a way that's like no other. And um, it's, it's like God's tattoo. Do you know about, uh, I won't ask how many of you have tats, but uh, I'd like to talk to you about them sometime because they, they, they tell stories. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, well, I won't go there. I would think about the tattoo I'd like to get someday. But <laughs> <laughs> did you know about God? Have you read in the scripture about God's tattoo? You know about God's tattoo? God has a tat. Uh, read Isaiah 49, and he talks about, you are engraved on my hand. Isaiah 49, 15, 16. When the Lord's working, as it were, he looks, and there he sees you. You're always in. You're always, you always belong. You're always his, because Jesus was thrown out, forsaken by the Father. How can we not behave in the same way so that we in the church can build deeper, deeper community by reaching out even in the church to people who don't quite feel they belong? 
the church, this church, I'm sure, I can just tell by, from knowing these guys, this church is becoming that, and you can help by recognizing what Jesus did for you and reaching out to people who don't belong. As you eat the bread and sip the cup this morning, thank Jesus that through his death, he drew you in, and now you belong. There's a third final kind of person Jesus prods, about, prods us about. In verse 51, he resolutely sets out for Jerusalem, and the Samaritans jerk the welcome mat. The light's not on at Motel 6 there that night. Uh, and the only reason is pure prejudice and hatred. They see Jesus and his cohort going to Jerusalem. And you remember the, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were enemies. And John and James show a clear response, verse 54, like one of the Old Testament prophets that they were trying to imitate. Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them and consume them? In, in Mark's gospel, Jesus gives those two a nickname. You remember what it was? Sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. They were the zappers. Zap those. And they would show, show their loyalty to Jesus uh, and, and their proximity to him in greatness by calling down fire on those to literally give them hell, so to speak. I mean, I don't think they were saying exposed. So they, they, they literally called down fire and wanted to call down fire on it. They're saying, if I can't gain status over people that, I, that don't matter, if I can't gain significance over people that I don't agree with, I can gain superiority, superiority over people who, uh, who are my, my enemies with a vengeful spirit. Few of us have out-and-out -out enemies. Maybe you do. And few of us will resort to what, <laughs> what James and John said. Lord, I wish them to go to hell. Maybe sometimes you do. No, our judgment is more subtle. Our enemies are more those that have hurt us and we just don't like. And we exercise our vengeance in passive-aggressive behavior that can undercut malign or stonewall without even taking responsibility. We can talk about people with humor. Uh, we can talk about them behind their back or, or worse, just ignoring them. We can roll our eyes or quietly sort of gloat when something bad happens to them. You know that feeling? We can be like Jonah who preached to the city of Nineveh and then sat up on the, on the hill waiting for God to zap them. So a cocky parent, cocky parents have trouble with their kid, and I can say, very interesting. <laughs> well, the best student in class who's too big for his britches makes a C, and we say, busted. <laughs> yeah, he got his. I'm alarmed at the kind of glee I can have in my spirit when a pastor who has regularly ranted and raved on social media when he, uh, against a friend of mine, say, I can, I can be so gleeful when something bad happens to that guy. How do you treat people who've hurt you in your mind? What's Jesus' words on greatness here? How does a, a great person deal with enemies of whatever sort, even just people who've hurt you? Again, it's the lowly place, the lowly place of simply taking wrong without dishing out, and, and dishing only out compassion and mercy. But Jim, it is so hard because wrong is done to me. Wrong is done to us. It's so hard. It's impossible. 
until we go back to where Jesus was headed to Jerusalem for. Why? Why was he going there? John and James, where were you going? And what was happening? What was going to happen at the cross? Greatness would take the lowly place and suffer for his enemies, James and John, you and me and you. And he opened not his mouth. The judgment I deserved and you deserved as enemies of God, Jesus took. We got compassion. We got mercy. And he got what we deserved. Our son Chris has been church planning in London for about 17 years. And several years ago, he and his family flew back to St. Louis because he was going to donate in mid-December, donate a kidney to his friend Tim. And so during the Christmas holidays, everybody said, oh, what a wonderful gift. Da -da -da. Chris gave a gift to Tim. Da -da. And he got all these accolades. And he kept quiet, qu trying to quiet that because he said, no, 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 no. That's what a friend does for a friend. He was a match, and it worked out wonderfully. Tim would have literally died of kidney failure. What a class act, everybody says. Chris says, no, 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 no. Friend does that for a friend. Christmas morning, we're opening gifts with all the grands. Everybody was home. And uh, it occurred to me that Chris's gift of a kidney was not at all like Jesus' gift of Jesus, a Christmas uh, gift of God's gift of Jesus. Chris gave a gift of kidney to a friend. Jesus came as a gift enemies right we were the enemy what if Tim had killed Josephine Chris's wife and with Tim in prison then Chris hears Tim needs a kidney and Chris decides to give Tim a, a kidney then that is only a tiny little tiny little glimpse of what Jesus has done for you and me. As he on the cross loved his enemies. Who has hurt you at work or neighborhood or school or, or here in the church? And uh, in your mind, have you been zapping those suckers? Almost wishing harm would come or at uh, least ignoring them? This morning as the, as the communion elements are served and you take them, Thank Jesus, thank him that he died for you, his enemy, to make you his friend. Some of you are wrestling with Christianity. Can I just ask you to stop off, just, just think about this. Ours is the only religion where God in Jesus actually become a, becomes a man to die for his enemies. No other religion teaches that. That God dies for his enemies. He loves you that much. As I get to know my dear wife, Jan, um, I keep relearning that the best way to love her is not what I think she needs. If I give her fried chicken livers, that's not, that's not, that's what, that's what I dearly love. It's not what Jan likes. The way I love Jan is to keep discovering, and now after 56 years, to keep discovering what are her loves, her angst, her fears, her desires, her goals, and whatever, whatever, what drives her and help move that in that direction. The same is true with the Lord. You don't love God in the abstract. You love God by keeping to dis keep discovering what drives him. What drives the Lord? 
makes his clock tick. People that don't matter. People who are outsiders. People who are enemies. That's what drives God. Because it drove him to you. This morning as we celebrate communion, let's just again come back to the fact that greatness is being like Jesus because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we could focus now on, on how poorly we've treated people and we want to do better and that could just end us up with a load of guilt. Or we could focus on what you've done for us and we just pray that even as we take the Lord's Supper now, that that gospel will soak into our hearts. And may we again realize that we were the ones who didn't matter. We were the ones who were outsiders. We were the ones who were your enemies. And you served us with your incredible death and resurrection. Give us that kind of love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.